What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to the final four. It's not on the schedule. He is Rod. I am Cameron. And Michigan State is back to face the Illinois fighting in the Lion Eye and Champaign. Um, Rod, Illinois is 13 and 5 overall, 6 and 2. Um, they've coming off two straight losses, however. Um, one to Purdue, then to the other to Maryland, uh, and they were handled fairly easily by Maryland without Kofi Coburn, um, who's in pro, uh, concussion protocol, probably up in the air as far as whether he plays or not. Um, Curbelo's been out for a long time with concussion issues. He only played 14 minutes in, in the game against Maryland. Uh, so they've got some issues to work through um, from a chemistry standpoint coming into this one well chemistry standpoint a personnel standpoint i mean look it's the story with Corbello supposedly is that he had a fever i assume non-covid mm-hmm. and that held his minutes down and they i assume wanted to claim that was responsible for his uh less than stellar performance against maryland he was actually as good as he's been all year in his first game back the loss to um Purdue. Uh, Purdue, he was actually very good. If you watch that game, it was the most under control I've ever seen him play. And he actually hit some shots. Uh, but then he was kind of right back to the same old. <laughs> I, in the <laughs> next one. Um, yeah, it's very much up in the air what Michigan State is going to see on Tuesday night. And that's mostly due to the fact that Kofi Coburn is up in the air. You know, he missed the game against Maryland due to being in concussion protocol. He suffered a concussion Uh late in the game against Purdue. Uh, You know, this isn't the old days. This isn't even, you know, 10 years ago. Concussions are rightly, in my opinion, treated very seriously now. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned Curbelo had that problem. Curbelo missed weeks. So you never know. You never know what you're going to be dealing with. And schools are long past the idea of, hey, suck it up and play through it. That yeah. that stuff is done. That's over. So it's a gigantic unknown. And, and I say gigantic figuratively and literally because Kofi Coburn is, of any player in this conference, I think he's the one whose presence changes a game the most. Because of his size, he's just a massive human being. They list him at seven feet, 285 pounds. You know, that's ballpark, but he might be bigger than that. He's just a gigantic human being. And when you have someone like that in the lineup, um, it changes everything, Mm -hmm. right? So it, it certainly changes everything for Illinois. If you watched that game against Maryland, as I did, uh, they, it's funny because Coburn, I think Coburn creates defensive problems for Illinois uh-huh. at times because he has a lack of mobility. 
And so their ability to defend pick and roll adequately suffers, I think, when he's on the floor. But at the same time, and he's and he's never been a, a big rim protection guy. He's not a big shot blocker. But at the same time, he takes up so much space that when he's out of there, you notice a difference in that game. And obviously, offensively, what's really worked for them, you know, prior to Curbelo returning and they had that streak after their Arizona loss where they were really playing well, what was clicking was they had Coburn just dominating inside and then their shooters playing off of that. Mm-hmm. And they've got a lot of them. You know, this is a this is a very good three point shooting team with a lot of threats. And that was working wonders. Well, now you've got Corbello back. He changes their dynamic, and I'm not convinced it's for the better in a variety of ways. I'm not convinced it's for the better to ha- actually have him playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, Coburn, if Coburn's not in there, well, it's a totally different team. They don't have that low post threat at all because the guys they'll play have not demonstrated any ability you know, in place of him, have not demonstrated any ability to really score much. So it changes the dynamic. And, yeah, it's it's very unclear as to what Michigan State is going to face. I I will say this. The one thing I'm going to guess is regardless of who's on the floor for Illinois that night, they're coming off two straight losses and really three straight games where they have not played well because they, they got by Michigan at home. The game before that mm-hmm. was Michigan's first game back out of COVID protocol and Michigan played hard and they, you know, they did some things. Okay. But that was a poor game by Illinois. So really it's been two straight losses. And I'd say two out of three games where they did not play well. I actually thought they played pretty well against Purdue. They just didn't win. And they didn't have Dickinson for that game either. Correct. And they still, and, and Illinois still struggled. Yeah. Yeah. It was an embarrassing performance. I mean, they were really bad. Give Michigan credit for fighting, but Michigan had, you mentioned they had Dickinson out. I think Johns was still out too. Yeah. For yeah, that game. They just, they had no business being, and on the road, they had no business being in that game. And they were, they were competitive because Illinois was awful. So the thing is, right now, Illinois is in a funk. You know, they're probably feeling a little bit like Michigan State fans did a week ago. Where, okay, what had been rolling is now not rolling. What are they going to do to stop it? So I would expect that you're going to see an Illinois team that's pretty jacked. That would be my assumption, regardless of who's actually on the floor for him or not. But obviously, who is on the floor and who is not is going to change this thing pretty dramatically mm-hmm. in terms of how it plays out, in my opinion. Uh, so you look at the numbers uh, on Illinois, 15th overall in Ken Palm, 11th in the net. Um, MSU is up to 19th in Ken Palm and 25th in the net. Um, yeah, that's a weird one to me. I haven't I haven't dealt the MSU number. Um I haven't delved into that, you know, because it, it doesn't make a well. Here's where maybe, as I'm thinking out loud, where maybe it begins to make a little bit of sense. A couple of those high major wins that looked pretty good on paper before the season, and actually even when they happened at Butler and at home against Louisville, don't yeah. look as good right now. On the other hand, you know, Oakland is leading their league. Toledo is unbeaten in their league. Yeah, they've played some good some of those other teams that they've played 
Kansas and Baylor obviously have been very, very good. UConn's up there. Yeah. UConn's been in and out of the top 25, but seemed like a reasonably safe bet to be a tournament team. And Loyola just lost this weekend. I think that was their first loss in the Valley. They were in the top 25 before that. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, and then probably the biggest thing as I think about it is the fact that Michigan State up until Friday night really has not played a very strong Big Ten schedule. Yeah. That's the thing. Normally you'd be six and one and you'd be thinking, well, that has to be factoring in positively, but th- their schedule breaking down the way it, it has, they just haven't played other than Wisconsin, anybody that's considered to be a serious threat, you know, to be even a first division team. So that's probably the biggest thing. But regardless, you see Illinois is, is still rated pretty highly in both mm-hmm. both categories. Uh, is offense, they're 15th in Ken Palm, and on defense, they're 37th, uh, where MSU's uh, up to 29 on offense, 23 on defense. The defense is actually what's what's crept up after that last game. Um, yeah. So for them, uh, Illinois on offense, they're a very good shooting team. 32% effective field goal percentage. Um, MSU's 30 number, sec, 32nd. Oh, in the country, yeah, yeah. Yeah, not percentage. 32nd in the yeah. country in effective field goal. Uh, Michigan State is 50th. Um, right. And that's that's mostly down to Illinois being a much more efficient team inside the arc, which you can ascribe mostly to Coburn. Mm-hmm. Um, Michigan State is actually a little bit better from three, but Illinois is still very good. So they're, they're, I would say Michigan State has an ever so slight advantage from three, but Illinois has been better from two because of Coburn. Yeah. Uh, but 37.6% for them uh, out three is, is – that's pretty damn good. Michigan State's up to about 39% now. Right. Um, and it seems like they're shooting the lights out. <laughs> so – Yeah. Um, but their deal, and this will be big dependent on Coburn, is they're just an elite offensive rebounding team, number four in offensive rebounding percentage. Yeah, number four in the country. And, again, Coburn has a huge, huge – a bit to do with that you know if he's not playing that doesn't mean they won't rebound at all but it's a different challenge verdonks is going to be a different animal than coburn Coburn just occupies so much space that you know there's there's really sometimes there's just literally nothing you can do if he happens to be in the right spot and the ball bounces the right way there's just nothing you can do you could talk about effort and you know gain rebounding and all those things are going to matter they're all going to be important but there would be times in any game that Kofi Coburn plays in at this level where he's just going to get a rebound because he's bigger than everybody else and there's nothing you can do mm-hmm. so yeah he's important yeah uh, they've also struggled with turnovers as well though um, 224 yeah. in turnover percentage whereas MSU is 284 yeah, and that that sounds like a decent sized gap, but it's I think right around one percent higher turnover percentage per game for Michigan State. Michigan State's at like twenty percent. Illinois is around nineteen. Mm-hmm. So it's they're both pretty bad. And and here's the thing I mentioned about Curbelo. I'm not sure whether he actually makes them better or worse. Yeah, Curbelo is a turnover machine. He has been since he got there. Now, he, he held that down against Purdue, but then he wasn't very good against Maryland. Um, if he continues to play more, 
I think Illinois may get even worse in that area. I mm-hmm. think there's a, a reasonable chance of that because he's, you know, I, I've said this more than once talking about Curbelo. I think he's arguably the most creative passer in America. He will make passes. He will make plays that nobody else makes. The problem is that comes with extreme risk taking. Mm-hmm. And he makes a ton of mistakes. So turnovers are just as big a deal for them as they are for Michigan State. They are essentially just as big a problem. Yeah. Uh, and they take a ton of threes. They're a top 50 team um, in terms of percentage right. of, of their shots. This profile kind of reminds me a little at least on offense, a little bit of those Purdue teams with Isaac Haas. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, it's a real, it's a really good comparison. And I think, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that when we get into keys and, and how I think Michigan state's got to defend them if Coburn plays. And, and I think you're right. I think, um, Coburn, he's better than Haas was obviously more impactful. He does more, but the challenge is somewhat similar. You have this giant in the post and then you've got a bunch of snipers around him. So your challenge is, do you try to stop the giant inside, or do you basically play him straight up, but know that he's going to get his to a certain extent? Just hope that you could find ways to limit him a little bit, but concentrate on holding those shooters down. That's what Michigan State did in that win over Purdue in the 17-18 season yeah. when they had Haas going. They had Haas and then all those guys like Edwards and Matthias and all those guys uh, on the arc. Michigan State, Carson Edwards, Vince Edwards, they, they held those guys down, uh, reason, you know, reasonably so. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, I think, is a similar challenge to what Illinois presents to you. It is, it is a very difficult thing to deal with because if you – if you really try to concentrate on dealing with Coburn and trying somehow to take him away, you are begging for trouble in Mm -hmm. my opinion, because they have shooters who will punish you for that. And Coburn, while he is certainly not the second coming of Bill Walton, he has gotten maybe marginally better in terms of his ability to move the ball out of double teams last year in 31 games, he had five assists for the season. Total. <laughs> total. Wow. He's got 14 right now in, I think, about 14 games. So, again, he's not Bill Walton. Mm-hmm. He's uh, he's not even, um, uh, you know, Derek Nix. But but he's gotten better. And and so I think that's a real you're, – you're absolutely right to call out that comparison because I think that's a good one. Uh on defense, um, they come in. They've slipped a little bit coming into in Big Ten play, um, but they're really good against the two, 12th in the nation. Um, yeah. MSU is 25, so. Yeah, MSU's gotten better lately against two-point shots. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, and I think you know, that that is always the first number I think you look at to see, okay, is a defense sustainable game to game? The problem is they've had issues – enough in other phases that their defense has been slipping. And I would argue that it has been, it has been part of the problem. People always focus on the offensive stuff, you know? And so you say, well, Coburn missed a game and 
you know, Cabello's in there. Maybe they haven't shot as well as they were before. Turnovers, all that stuff, all true. But to me, Illinois' defense is not where they were last year when they were a very good defensive team, and it's not even where they were earlier this season. I think they've mm-hmm. got some holes. Yeah. Uh, that being said, it's a, a complete turnaround from what Underwood used to do, <laughs> which was just helter-skelter. Thank God. I mean, I always love, I'm just, and and it's, in a way, it kind of disappoints me just a little bit. You know, the two coaches that were added to the league this year were Shrewsbury at Penn State and Ben Johnson at Minnesota. And they're both Big Ten guys. Johnson played in this league as well as was an assistant at Minnesota for a while. Mm-hmm. And Shrewsbury was an assistant at Purdue for a long time. And then he was also with Brad Stevens at Butler and in the NBA, but, you know, Butler essentially played a a not too dissimilar style to a lot of what big 10 teams play. So these guys came in with the right kind of backgrounds that there was, there was no nonsense talk from them about how they're going to run and they're going to press. I always love these guys. And we seem to get them periodically. Underwood Mm. was the most recent, but before that, Richard Pitino talked that way when he first came into the league, Pat Chambers talked that way when he came into the league. So did, uh, so did Fran when he got to Iowa and uh, some of these guys, you know, Fran will still throw out a trapping garbage press every once in a while, but most of these guys learn, you know, Richard Patino learned after a couple of years, Hey, I can't play this way in this league because the guard play and the coaching's too good. Mm-hmm. You know, it took Underwood, I think a couple of years as well before he really, it also helped that he got different personnel. But the fact is he recruited that personnel. I think it was intentional because I think he realized, hey, the stuff that I ran in the Big 12 and the stuff that I did when I was at Stephen F. Austin, this is going to float <laughs> yeah. in this conference. It's not going to work. If you, I always go back to that game uh, in the 17-18 season oh, yeah. where MSU went to Champaign. And it was like MSU had like 25 turnovers or something, but they shot like 75% from the floor. <laughs> it was like it was, 20 dunks. <laughs> every possession was a turnover or a dunk. <laughs> that was and one it, of the know, strangest Illinois games. Was a, Illinois had no talent, and they kept it they kept it relatively close, if I remember correctly. But it, it just it was an aesthetic atrocity, in my <laughs> opinion. That, that's not basketball. That's I don't want to watch that. Mm-hmm. You know, and and uh, it's also not a formula for winning in this conference. So he definitely figured out I can't run my program this way here. And he's changed. He changed his personnel. He got he got a more talented roster, but also a roster that was actually going to be able to defend people straight up mm-hmm. and compete. You know, which is what you have to do in this conference, in my view. Yeah. I mean, history tells us that, and. They were pretty good. I, I can't remember where they finished last year defensively, but I seem to recall they were very highly rated, like a top 20 defense for sure. And uh, and this year it slipped. And, you know, there's some – obviously there's some different personnel. You lost to Sun Mu, who was a versatile defender, could do a lot of different things. Um, you lost Adam Miller. You know, so there's a little bit of different personnel. They lost yeah, Georgie in a reserve role, but I'm not sure personnel explains all of it. I, I'm not really dialed in entirely to all that it is, except that they have not been necessarily great defending the three, and that's hurt them. Yeah, yeah, they were so, seventh 
last year. Okay, so top, so top ten. Yeah. yeah, I knew they were good, and they're not that good right now. Mm-hmm. They're not nearly that good. Uh, and their defensive rebounding is it's decent, sixty fifth in yeah. the in the country. Yeah, it's uh, okay. Yeah, uh, and but they do not play fast. Teams are shooting quickly against them, but they are just kind of slogging along on their offensive, and I they're 286. Was, I thought that was really interesting, you know, and that's another thing that's changed. Underwood, remember, was a guy who just wanted to play fast. Mm-hmm. He wanted to, you know, flying up the floor, you know, let's get back to flying a line eye, all that stuff, and you look at their tempo, and their offensive tempo is among the slower ones in the conference. And, and that makes sense with this team for two reasons, I think. One is, obviously, you have Coburn. And Coburn is not a run-the-floor guy. So if you want to make the most out of him, you need to run half-court offense, set it up, give him time to get himself established, carve out his position where he wants it, and, and then go to him. That takes time off the clock, takes time to get there. Mm-hmm. The other thing is they shoot the ball well enough obviously as a jump shooting team but they're not it's not like michigan state where michigan state because of the commitment to running can do that effectively right they can go fast they can go up the floor and hit you with quick stunner threes mm-hmm. you know in transition illinois doesn't do that they they get most of their three-point production from working the ball they've got a pretty good passing team they don't have any one guy who's really a great creator, but they uh, watching them enough and looking at the numbers, they've got guys who move the ball well. And, uh, and so I think that also feeds into why their tempo or their average length of possession, let's say, is so long hmm. compared to what you might think looking at their team. Uh, so if we look at the starters, Rod, Trent Fraser, 6'1", super senior, um, and he's having the best season of his career so far. 13.4 points a game, 42 from the floor, 37 from three, 86 from the line. Um, but his assist totals have really, really improved this year. Um, tied for the team lead, 58, um, and leads them in steals with 24. Yeah, I think this is, you know, he was a very highly regarded recruit out of Florida, if I remember correctly. And... I think this is who they thought he would be mm-hmm. when they got him. Took a back seat when the sun move was there a little bit. Yes. And I, I think you're at, and this is his fifth year. You know, he was, he was a freshman on that team. We just mentioned that was Underwood's first team. that was playing that helter skelter style. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're right. The year after he came in to some, I think it was the year after the uh, sun move, came on board and he became the guy. And, and I think you're right. Maybe Frazier took a back seat to him psychologically. He just, this was the guy I had kind of expected him to be based on his advanced billing. And he mm-hmm. hadn't quite ever gotten there. Well, now he is. And, and I think even more to the point, he seems to me. And from what I read about that team, uh, he has emerged as their leader both on and off the court. Like he's the guy you can kind of sense it when you watch them. Uh He's the guy who seems to be uh, at the helm of that thing emotionally. Uh, 
you know, good player. He's, he's, he's not a, the, the shooting percentage, the jump shooter is good, not spectacular, but he's a guy who's very, very dangerous. I think maybe even more so than that percentage suggests, because when I watch him, at least he just seems to have a knack for hitting backbreaking shots, mm-hmm. like his timing. If they need, if they've got a big possession, there's a good chance the ball's going to find its way to Trent Frazier. Uh, he's just, he's having a really, really nice year. And I think, you know, Coburn's stats, wow you, you know, they, they do. But in my mind, Trent Frazier's their most valuable player, especially considering how long Corbello was out for. They needed somebody to step up and be a stabilizer. And Frazier has served in that role, mm-hmm. you know, and that was important. And I, between you and all our listeners and I, uh, I think they're better with Frazier. Frazier's not a dynamic creator, uh-huh. but he's also not going to make the mistakes that Curbelo does. I just think they're better with him running the show. And I and I think how Underwood walks this line now that Curbelo is back, I think is going to be really interesting with that team. Because mm-hmm. I don't think it's obvious what way it goes. I really don't. This is not, believe me, this is not Mateen Cleaves coming back to Michigan State in 2000 after he missed all the non-conference with an injury. Mm-hmm. This is not that at all. This is potentially much more disruptive, and I think there are negative impacts that are fairly easy to see coming, at least as a potential outcome. Yeah, because Trent Fraser's experience is unbelievable. I mean, five years yeah. of... He's only missed like two games in his entire career. Yeah, I think he's, he's played been a starter. Minutes. Yeah, yeah, I think he's been a starter pretty much the whole way. You're absolutely right. I mean, there are very few. You know, we're seeing it this year because you've got a few of these guys. You got Eli Brooks. You got Brad Davison at Wisconsin. So you got a handful of these guys that are, are are going to break records in terms of number of games played and probably minutes played at their schools because they've gotten this extra year to play. Mm-hmm. But you're right. I mean, the experience that Frazier provides for this team is invaluable. He's seen it all, yeah. other than winning a championship. He hadn't seen that. <laughs> uh, so then you got Demonte Williams, um, super another super senior, six uh, yeah. three. He's averaging four point one points a game, thirty minutes, um, twenty nine from the floor, thirty four from three, sixty one from the line. Uh, but that's a massive drop from last year's numbers. Yeah, I. You know, last year, his production isn't down that much. He only scored, I think it was 5.5 points a game last year. So it wasn't like he was a high-volume guy, but he was so much better as a shooter. He was plus 50%, both overall and from three. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's impressive. And I remember seeing that, watching it last year, and thinking, where did this come from? Because he had not been a good shooter prior to last year, he had really struggled in his career. He, Williams was a guy who mostly played as has been the case this year, because he's pretty good defensively. He rebounds. He's versatile because he's six, three and kind of strong. So he can do some different things that some other guards they have can't. Mm-hmm. Um, that was how he earned playing time. And then all of a sudden he has this crazy shooting year and it didn't make any sense, but he's obviously reverted back to the mean this season. Um, it's not that he's a total, you know, obviously 34% from three is respectable. You got to guard that, but <laughs> it's not like a guy shooting 55%. Yeah. You know, it's a different deal. 
He was actually number one in the country in three point percentage last year. 54%, right. Which <laughs> but only 64 came, attempts, but right. It was low ish volume, but you know, 64, that means he was averaging about two attempts a game. So it wasn't nothing. You can't call It's kind of like Michigan state with Malik call and, um, Tyson Walker being plus 50% shooters from three Mm -hmm. at this stage of the season. They're not high volume guys, but they're also not in a situation where you could look at it and say, well, that's a function of they only took 13 shots. It's not low volume either. When you're averaging a couple attempts a game, there's a consistency to that, Mm -hmm. you know? So he was really, really effective for them in that role. And he's not nearly so this year. The other things, you know, good rebounder, good defensive players i say he's got some size so he's versatile for them he helps as a playmaker he's right there with frazier and the assist total um so he helps them but just not as much as a three-point sniper yeah uh and then they get alfonso Plummer, a 6-1 grad transfer from utah who's been a nice little addition for them on the perimeter um they of course they lost adam miller to lsu um and i think he, he i think adam miller actually is injured for the entire year. He is. I he is. He hasn't played LSU. at all. He hasn't played at all. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Plummer, um, he's second, uh, averaging second best on the team with 16.4 points a game, uh, 46 from the floor, 41 and 96. You could make a, a pretty damn good argument that he is the most impactful transfer in the conference. I mean, there would be an interesting discussion there because I actually think, you know, in in the totality of his game, Tyson Walker has been very, very important for Michigan State. Um, He doesn't have the numbers some of these other guys do in scoring terms, but as a defender and an assist guy, he's been extremely important. Uh, Jamison Battle at Minnesota has put up big numbers. He's Mm -hmm. been really good. Um, Quietly, because as with Battle, his team isn't as good, uh, Pickett at Penn State has had a really nice season but I think when you factor in production and where his team sits, Plummer probably, if there were an award for transfer of the year, Plummer would probably get it. Mm-hmm. He's he's a high volume shooter from three, and he's effective. You know, plus forty percent. He's come down a little bit in recent games, but still the numbers are holding up nicely. Uh, he's just a weapon. You know, the only problem I've got, and this is where I think Illinois maybe is down a little bit from last year defensively. You know, last year you had, you know, DeSunmu and Miller and Williams on that on that perimeter. And then Frazier, I think Frazier might have even, well, Frazier probably started some too. But anyway, DeSunmu was 6'4", Miller was like 6'3". You know, they were a little bigger. Plummer and Frazier out there as two of the three perimeter guys, that's pretty small. Yeah. And I think that's played into some of the issues defensively. Yeah, it's played but into yeah. their rebounding on de- defensively too. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, now, again, it's relatively speaking. 37th overall defense is not a disaster. It's just not where they were last year and where, you know, you typically want to be a little better than that if you're going to win the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think if you're looking for reasons why we're, we're at the margins of some things but I think it's real 
but uh, maybe that lack of size has hurt them a little bit. But offensively, yeah, I mean, Plummer is an absolute weapon as a shooter. He's a guy you've got to be dialed in on because he's got a really quick release, too. He does not take – he and uh, um, Stefanovic at, at Purdue – are the two guys in the conference this year that I think are just so difficult to deal with because they don't need any time to get their shot off. Mm-hmm. It's just catch bang. Uh, and then they got Jacob Grandison, six, six senior, um, who's really taken his game up a level after coming in from Holy cross, sitting a year out. And then last year he comes in 4.8 points a game. Uh, now he's up to 11.6 this year. Yeah. Game. 50 from the floor, 47 and 87. Yeah, he's uh, an undersized guy at six six at that position, but an absolute weapon because of the ability to stretch the floor. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is he is just very very difficult to deal with. Corner threes are a big part of that guy's game. If you watch Illinois, he seems to get a lot of shots from the corners, and he's deadly accurate. So he's going to present a challenge for Hauser or Hall, whoever's out there. They are really, really going to have to be dialed into where Grandison is on the floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Kofi Coburn, seven foot, 280, uh, junior season, um, 21.1 points a game, 11.8 rebounds, 59% from the floor. Um, and he's improved at the free throw line, 68% from there. That's been a huge problem for him in the past. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, you know, I, I'm not... Coburn's a tough one for me because I love post play. He's he's not exactly the kind of post player I love, though. I love guys, you know, a Nick Ward was an example, or a Derek Nix. Mm-hmm. You know, even, even Garza. Um, I really appreciate guys who have great footwork, great touch. That's not Coburn. Coburn is just sheer size and space-eating and strength and that's it it's mm-hmm. like Shaq. yeah it's it's very much like what shaquille o'neal was like as a pro at this level that's what kofi coburn reminds me of um there's no grace to it at all none so it's not my favorite style aesthetically it is brutally effective though and i have to give him some credit you know to go back to last spring the assumption was that he was going to go mm-hmm. that he was going to go pro and he didn't like the feedback he got, which did not surprise me because I don't see how he fits into the modern NBA game. He does not move well. I'd say it's just like with with Garza. You know, Garza has played some for the Pistons this year, but he's been kind of up and down in terms of whether he's been on the active roster or the G League, and you know his playing time has been very inconsistent. And I still don't think he's likely to have a long term future in the NBA. Well, Coburn has the same kind of problems that Garza has, except it's worse because at least Garza could say, well, but he could stretch the floor offensively. Mm-hmm. And Coburn can't do that. But having said all of that, so he, he, you know, he declared and then pulled out of the draft, but then he was, I believe he entered the portal, I think, or at least he talked about it. Yeah. And yeah, he can't, he put it, went into the portal and then came back out. Yeah, there was a thought that he, if, if people remember, Illinois lost two assistants, Orlando Antigua and Chin Coleman, both left Illinois to go to Kentucky last year. 
And Antigua was the guy who was responsible. He was the Puerto Rican connection and let's just say Caribbean connection. Mm -hmm. He was the guy that was created New York contacts. He was the guy who was credited with getting Cabello, with getting Coburn and some other guys too. And there was at one point, there was an expectation, or at least it was strongly rumored, that Curbelo might transfer to Kentucky. It was before they landed some other guys. And then when Coburn pulled out of the draft and was in the portal, there was a strong thought that he might end up in Kentucky, but that didn't happen. Mm. So he comes back to Illinois, and I looked at that and thought, boy, there's a lot of a very strong possibility this goes south. Because sometimes when guys get feedback they don't like from the pros, they come back trying to prove that they can do something they were criticized for. Yeah. And sometimes that actually produces improvement, but just as often I think it can produce a negative uh, impact for a team because you've got a guy who can't do something trying to prove that he can. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, not doing the things that made him effective for you previously. So I thought, okay, is Coburn going to (laughs) come out and start trying to shoot 15 footers? Is he going to do things that are not really in his wheelhouse to his credit? I think he has improved some things while not getting outside of who he is. I mentioned, you know, the turnovers are still a problem. He's got 30 turnovers. His turnovers are actually up on a per-game basis, but his assists are way up, too. He's got 14 assists to 30 turnovers. That's not great, but it's also not. Last year, the number was 5 and 54. <laughs> so it's it's not like that. Uh-huh. You know, we're talking about getting close to about 50% or, or you know, fifty uh, percent uh, uh, of your assists being fifty percent of your total turnovers, as opposed to last season where it was ten percent. You know, mm-hmm. that's a big that's a big difference. So he's gotten better there. The, you mentioned the free throw shooting; that was a huge problem. Yeah. Now I don't know that a hack a Kofi strategy is necessarily a great idea. He's had some games where he didn't shoot free throws well. Uh, I want to say the Purdue game, he struggled. It was one of the games recently, it was either Michigan or Purdue. He really struggled from the line, but that was an outlier for this season because he's been pretty good. Mm-hmm. So he's improved in some of these areas, and then obviously the scoring and rebounding numbers are off the charts, um, and, and those were good last year, and they're good again this year. Yeah. So if he's out there, he's a problem because he just creates – this huge, huge presence inside that you have to confront. He forces you to confront him one way or the other. Um, the negatives, though, that I see, besides the turnovers, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I don't think he's great for them defensively. I really don't. Because they kind of have to shack him in in uh, ball screen stuff when teams mm-hmm. are running picks. So... Your ball handler, which is usually going to be your point guard, should get shooting opportunities against Illinois. And you still got to hit them, but those shots should be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then at the same time, sometimes with guys who maybe struggle there, they can at least give you a rim protection element. He doesn't really do that. He averages a block a game, which is not very impressive for a guy his size. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you look at, 
Curbelo is probably the, the first guy off the bench. Six foot sophomore. Um, 10.2 points a game, 34, 13 from three, 79 from the line. Uh, he's only played six games, Rod, and 26 assists to 19 turnovers. Yeah. It's, look, it's all there, right? This, this is a, a guy who I think really, um, he separates the wheat from the chaff in terms of people who understand the game. Because a lot of people who watch the game casually, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's just it's a different level of attention to detail, right? Mm. A lot of people who watch the game casually will be drawn to Curbelo because, as I said earlier, I think he's as creative as any point guard in America at this level. He sees things that other guys don't. Even other good point guards don't see the game the way he does. He can make spectacular plays. All true. And so if you are casually watching a game, you are probably going to notice him doing some things that you don't see every day and think, Mm -hmm. wow, that guy's really got something. The problem is he'll also make a boatload of mistakes getting there because he forces things. He hasn't yet figured out how to walk the line between seeing the possibilities and playing with good judgment. Yeah. And that is a huge part of being an effective point guard. Then you add in the shooting. He was a terrible shooter last year. And guess what? He's no better this year. 13% from three. I don't think Tom ever shot that badly. (laughs) No. And look at all the grief he got. Mm-hmm. Right now, that's I'm not trying to take that comparison too far. I'm just saying this is a guy who, for a guard, is a really, really bad shooter. Really bad. Really inefficient. He's an inefficient player. That's just the bottom line. And so, to me, if you're a team who already maybe has some efficiency issues, mm-hmm. as they do, and because they're they played most of them. Well, what would it be? More than half their games they've played without them yeah. this season. Yeah. So their turnover problems as a team are not all Andre Cabello. But he exacerbates it. Mm. He's probably going to make it worse. I, 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 would, I would simply say this. If he would be as good as his boosters claim him to be, Illinois would be a Final Four level team. He would elevate that team. I don't think he is the player that the boosters think he is. Mm. And and I think watching what role he plays for the rest of this season is going to be fascinating because Underwood's got to walk a very fine line. You know, this is a guy who wants to play. He's got a big profile. And I think if I were brad underwood i might think if i can unlock this guy and get him to be the best version of himself he could be we go up a level as a team so i understand the fascination with him i just he's got to be really careful because he he has a group that has a lot of experience that seem to have kind of figured out how to play together and be effective And now you've got this guy who demands a lot of attention, who whenever he's on the floor is ball dominant. Now he's back in the mix. How do you walk that line and make this all work? I do not think it's easy. Mm -hmm. I really don't. It's, it's just like 
I've said this before, and it seemed to be working for a while and maybe less effectively lately. You know, Matt Painter with his situation with the two guys he's got at the five, great talent. And you look at it and you think, hey, that's a great problem to have. Is it? <laughs> because because there are challenges that come with it, too. Yeah. It's not all upside. And I think in a different way, there, there's something similar at work here with how they handle Curbelo. Mm. Uh, and then they bring Cole, Coleman Hawkins off the bench, 6'10", 215-pound sophomore. Uh, he started 10 games. Um, but he's been his role's been a little bit diminished lately. Six point seven points a game, four point nine rebounds, forty six, twenty eight, and sixty seven. Um, so he does step out and take threes from occasionally, but uh, two for twelve. Not hitting them. Yeah, not hitting them. He's been really yeah two for twelve in Big Ten play. So that twenty eight percent is generous compared mm-hmm. to how he's been shooting in the conference. I think he's you know they started out with a great deal of optimism around him. You know, last year, I don't think there were big expectations coming into the season. He was kind of an under-the-radar, not a not a top 100 guy, if I recall correctly. And yet, he ended up you know, on a team that was deep and experienced and expected to be very good, and he kind of forced his way into their rotation. Hmm. So I think they came into this season thinking, hey, we've got something. A guy with real size, but who can stretch the floor. We play him next to Kofi. We really got something. And it started that way. But he has not been playing well mm. in the Big Ten. And, you know, that that's, again, maybe one of the problems defensively here, maybe, is that you go from a guy with some length, and, again, you don't get much rim protection with Kofi, so you, you get another guy at least with some length in there, and now he's losing minutes to guy who's 6'6", who's mm. a better player offensively, clearly, but maybe doesn't have that same size. So Hawkins is an interesting guy. I mean, I still think he's got a future. I don't write him off because the numbers aren't terrible. They're just, they're maybe not quite what they thought they might be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other option, they have Omar Payne, a 6'10 junior transfer from Florida, uh, but he's only averaging 1.9 points a game, 1.9 rebounds in about eight and a half minutes, 57 from the floor, 61 at the line. Yeah, the only thing he's really bringing is he does bring a rim protection element. He leads them in shot blocks despite limited minutes. You know, they got him as a transfer from Florida, and at the time they got him, it was looking like Coburn would not be back. So the thinking was they got him to be a starter. Mm -hmm. And then Coburn comes back. I, I just speaking for myself, he had been decently productive at Florida. I expected a lot more. I'm not sure what's happened with him, but when I watch them play, other than the occasional shot block, he doesn't really ever seem to do much. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but, you know, it could be a key figure in this game because if Coburn doesn't play, he's going to be out there. You know, he will play a significant role. Yeah. Uh, they got a lot of big bodies. And then you got they Benjamin do. Bosman's Verdonk, 6'8, 235 pounds. Um, he's averaging 1.9, 2.6 rebounds, um, nine minutes, 46 from the floor, 36 from the line. Yeah. And they started him rather than pain against Maryland. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's, he's a, he's a bigger guy. He's not 
tall at six eight, but he's a bigger guy. He's a stronger guy, and so I think they like him out there for that reason that they think he can bang around a little bit. I remember when they got him. You know, he has a European background that they thought he could be like a stretch type player, versatile guy, and he hasn't really shown that. Uh, but you know, again, I think it really depends on whether you have Coburn or not yeah. as to. Yeah what kind of role he plays in this game. If you don't have Coburn, he's going to play a lot. He's going to be important. If you do have Coburn, he probably doesn't play a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Luke Goody, 6'6 freshman, former MSU recruit, um, 2.2 points a game, 1.8 rebounds in about nine minutes, 36, 38, and 67 from the floor. Yeah, you know, he's been okay as a freshman. Um I'm kind of grateful Michigan State didn't get him, if if only because I didn't want to hear certain segments of the fan base going on with Russell Bird throwbacks, because there's a lot. They're both from Fort Wayne. Both came in with shooters' reputations, red hair. I mean, a lot of similarities, similar size. I think Goody's got a chance to be an effective player for them, and he's. He's managed to crack through and at least be a consistent part of their rotation. He shot it okay. He competes. Not a great athlete. He's an okay athlete. But uh, I can definitely see him being a guy who fills a role with Illinois going forward. You know, I think he could be a guy that has some size on the wing, can shoot the ball, you know, maybe mix it up a little bit. Um, He seems to play hard. So there are things to like there. Uh, so then if you get into the keys, Rod, the number one key, Coburn. Um, now, with all that's being said about Coburn and, and how much attention is being paid to him, let's not forget he has not played well against Michigan State. In his three career no. games, he's 10 for 27. He's had a 2 for 10, a 3 for 6, a 5 for 11. He's that's really right. struggled uh, against Michigan State. He has. The only, the only time he played okay – was that second game of his freshman season, uh, the one in Champaign, and he was three for six. You know, last year in their loss, you said five for 11. That first game at uh, of his career against MSU at Breslin in the 2019-2020 season, uh, that was before this year, that was Marcus Bingham's best game of his career, mm-hmm. where he played a lot of minutes and just really shut him down with his length. I, I don't think it's a coincidence, you know, um, Bainham's been around and Bainham's played a decent amount against Coburn and his length has frustrated Coburn in the past. Mm-hmm. Now past is no guarantee of, uh, you know, future outcomes, of course. Uh, and we also have a situation where we don't know how many minutes Marcus Bainham can play because it seems like conditioning is after he's come back from COVID is still in a bit of an issue. We just don't know how much. So there's reasons to be optimistic about how MSU can handle Coburn. But, you know, then the other way of looking at it is this is a great player who is over three kind of in terms of really showing up. He's overdue, right? Uh-huh. That's the other way you could look at it. And he's playing at home. That's all if he plays. We don't know if he's going to play. If he does play, we don't know how effective he's going to be. Uh, there's a lot of unknowns here. I would I would say this. I think that 
uh, as I alluded to earlier, if he plays, I think the way you play him is the way MSU has played him in the past, which is you provide some help, probably via perimeter guys digging down, but mm-hmm. that's it. No hard doubling. You know, it's going to be the standard is playbook. Yeah. And I think you, you go into the game knowing that there's a chance if Coburn plays, he could put up 30 points. Mm-hmm. That could happen. But if it happens, it doesn't necessarily mean you lose the game. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, and so the second key is defend the arc. Yeah. Well, that goes right into conjunction with the first point. I think the bigger threat with this Illinois team is that they get it rolling from three and they just bomb you out of there. And so to me, the emphasis needs to be much more oriented toward not giving those guys easy shot opportunities. Mm-hmm. And that's going to mean you've got to, you can't really be cheating that much to help in the post. You've got to play those guys straight up because even if you're doing that, there's still going to be a challenge to defend well because it's, it's a lot of experience, right? Mm-hmm. You've got two fifth year guys and a grad transfer, but two grad, I mean, Grandison is an older guy too. So all four of those guys that are out there to start on the perimeter around whomever is going to be at the five are all guys who have been around a long time. They've played a lot of basketball and they're all threats. They know how to get the ball to each other. They know how to create good shot opportunities. So it is going to be a challenge. Even if Michigan state comes in deciding we're going to play it this way, Mm -hmm. you still got to execute it. And, you know, they're a good enough shooting team that on the right night, they could blitz you. So you got to do everything you can to prevent that. Mm. Uh, and then defensive rebounding. Yeah. I, we talked about Illinois with Coburn is an elite offensive rebounding team. I mean, truly elite fourth in the country. Uh, Michigan state up until the game, Madison had been struggling against poor offensive rebounding teams, never mind an elite one. Mm-hmm. So, all the same things that worked for them in Madison, a gang rebounding mentality, making sure you're putting a body on somebody when the ball goes up and just having a mindset, uh, a competitiveness about you to be first to the ball. That's all going to be critically important. Mm -hmm. You know, Illinois is a good shooting team as it is. If you are giving them repeated second chances, you got a big problem. Yeah. And that brings us to the fourth point, which is turnovers. Um, Yeah. This is a game where Michigan State needs to, I think, have a different mentality. Some of these other games, like we talk about this all the time, where kind of, for me, my threshold is like a five turnover differential. Mm -hmm. If it's worse than that, they may have a problem. If it's in that range, it's okay. Against Illinois, you've got a chance to actually win this category. Mm-hmm. And and Illinois, if they're sloppy, can really shoot themselves in the foot. So I think which team plays under control and avoids mistakes better is clearly going to have a leg up. It, it does matter. It's not the only thing by any means that matters, but it's important. Mm-hmm. And if either team has a big differential in their favor, that's that could be very significant, clearly. And then the third or the fifth uh, key is poise. 
Now, I thought Michigan State showed good poise at, at Wisconsin in that first, in the start of that game. When it got out to 8-0, yep. they didn't freak out. Yep, agreed. I mean, the only thing, <laughs> the first shot they hit was a Marcus Bingham three. Yeah. And so if you draw it up, that's nothing. <laughs> when you're down 8-0 already, maybe that's not the, the shot that you're looking for. But on the other hand, he was wide open. Mm-hmm. Wisconsin was giving him that shot. I don't think it was a bad shot. Obviously, he made it. That got MSU rolling. Um, I think you're right about that. You could say, well, they didn't come out with much poise because they were kicking the ball around. But the fact that they were resilient, that they were able to ride that out, correct things, and get rolling, that was that was important. I think the way that they the way that they played allowed them to keep that crowd out of it. Yeah, almost the it's whole not game. not an easy thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. That crowd never really got going, and that's big. I mean, that matters. You know, you could say it, it, it's not real, but I don't – if you say that, I don't think you bet those environments. Mm-hmm. It is – I've God knows I've seen it enough and felt it enough in buildings, you know. you could, It's a physical thing. You can feel a crowd's momentum carrying a team. And so when you're the road team in one of those environments, that is a part of the challenge. Find a way to play um, efficient and consistent basketball to the extent that the other team never has one of those sequences where they just, you could feel it rising like a tide mm-hmm. emotionally. You know, and they did a really good job of that in Madison. This will be another challenge. Um, you know, it, it's it probably if you're well, if you're under thirty, you probably don't have a great memory of Illinois being a great program. Um, and and if you're if you're under forty, your memory is probably only to a certain extent. You know, you'd remember D-Bow, obviously there the Reverend Powell. <laughs> You'd that remember team. that that group that went to a national championship game and the Frankie Williams, Sergio McLean, Marcus Griffin group that won a Big Ten title, you know. But my memory goes back further than that. I mean, my my first vivid memory of a game at Illinois was um, I don't remember the game his freshman year because they won, but Magic Johnson's sophomore year, they went into Champaign-Urbana and I remember there was a big story. I didn't see the article, but I remember hearing about it because they talked about it in the television coverage. There had been a big column in one of the Chicago newspapers, either the Sun-Times or the Chicago Tribune, where the columnist had written a story on Michigan State. And the guy said the headline was something like, I've seen the magic act and I don't believe. So this <laughs> oh, was leading boy. into that the game. age well. <laughs> and then, well... It did on that day because Michigan State went into Champaign and Illinois had gotten off to a great start that year. They had a young team and um, they were led by Eddie Johnson, who had a long NBA career, mm-hmm. but they won it. I can't remember if it was Eddie Johnson or they had another guy named Mark Smith. One of those two guys hit a hit a jumper at the buzzer to beat Michigan State. And the crowd, I remember from watching on television, the crowd was insane. <laughs> and 
that atmosphere in that building, which I guess it's the State Farm Center now, it was assembly. It was the other assembly hall for forever, mm. uh, in addition to the one in Indiana. Um, the atmosphere in that building when Illinois was good, which was most of the time from the late 70s until, say, the mid-aughts, was as good as any building in the conference. I remember Jim Comperoni writing once or twice during the, the early stages of Izzo's ascension about what, you know, leading into one of those games about it being a jihad like atmosphere mm-hmm. with their student section, just their crowd overall. I, I think the only place that historically has struck me being as being as tough for, for all the years I've watched it. So going back to the seventies would be Mackey, Mackey arena, Purdue. It's mm-hmm. the only one that compares, but it's, it's kind of fallen off in, in the last 15 years or so because Illinois just hasn't been very good much of that time, mm-hmm. whereas they were before that. And so those crowds always had something. They were always in it. And, and it was the same deal as at Mackey. You know, it was, a, it was dark lighting. In the old, they believe, yeah. even though it looks kind of dark now, it's not what it was. It used to be in the 70s and 80s before TV really got it and forced them to change it a little bit. Mm. It was pitch black, or so it seemed, in that crowd, other than the court. And you heard them, but you didn't see them, which was <laughs> freakier. Um, Chrysler used to be that way, too. Those were the three arenas that were always really dark. Um, but a- anyway, it's a tough place to play. And I would expect, especially since they're coming in on a two-game losing streak, that crowd is going to be loaded for bear. Mm-hmm. And I would expect that Michigan State is going to be dealing with an energy level and a hostility that is going to be different than what they've seen this year. You know, winning at Cole is no easy task. We mm-hmm. know that. And so they've been through that, which is great. But again, the way they played kept that crowd on its hands. They never got rolling. Can they do the same thing? in Champaign, if they can't, at least not for the entirety of the game, they're going to have to deal with that crowd, and that is not going to be easy. It's just, I've just got so many bad memories of of <laughs> losses in that building, which go back a long time. Mm. And Michigan State's won a lot of games there, too, especially in recent years, but that is a tough, in my mind, that is always going to be one of the toughest buildings MSU plays in. Okay, well, this one's uh, Tuesday, 7 o'clock, ESPN. ESPN's got them as a 78.5% chance of winning. Illinois. Yeah. Yeah, and and understandably, because if it was on a neutral floor, it'd probably be essentially a pick em, would be how I would see it. Maybe, maybe one team or the other would have a half point or a point advantage, but... Mm. You know, you're playing the game at Illinois. Yeah, but but again, the uncertainty around Coburn is what makes this a really difficult one to peg. If you know you've got Coburn, then you know the game is going to be played in one way. Mm-hmm. If you don't have Coburn, a lot of things change. At that point, I think Illinois becomes even more dependent upon getting its three ball going, and Michigan State has even more of an imperative to try to take that away and limit it, but it's going to change how you play it because you don't have Coburn to worry about, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, 
so yeah, it's, it's a lot of intrigue in this one. And I'm guessing we're probably, I mean, we'll, we'll see. I would expect that Underwood probably has a press conference tomorrow. We'll see if he says anything meaningful, mm. I, given how he played it with Curbelo, I kind of doubt that he does because they were, they were less than definitive all the way along with him. And that goes right up to when he actually started playing again against Purdue. That kind of came suddenly, hmm. you know, and maybe that's just how it went medically, or maybe there was gamesmanship involved, but I, I'm not expecting that Underwood's going to probably lend a great deal of clarity to it tomorrow. Maybe <laughs> he'll surprise me. Uh-huh. And, and then, I mean, why, you know, given the situation, why would you? Yeah. You know, let Michigan State wonder what's coming. And um, and then, you know, we'll find out on Tuesday who mm. suits up. Okay. But it's a big game. I mean, yeah. I guess the other thing I would add is, you know, I mentioned this, I think, in our post game against Wisconsin. I don't want to say it's an entirely a house money game, but it, it kind of is at this point. Because that's a game coming into the season that if you're being honest, you probably chalk up as a loss, mm-hmm. right? Like I, coming into the season, I wouldn't have necessarily put Wisconsin there, but once we got to that game, you certainly knew that was going to be a challenge because Wisconsin was better than people thought. Mm-hmm. But you would say, okay, Illinois, at Illinois, that's a that's a tough one. You don't go to Purdue, so that's good. Um you know, you go to Ann Arbor, that could be a challenge. Well, we don't know now if that game's going to be played or if it happens, you know, you probably feel a little bit better about that than you did before the season at Columbus. We, you know, there weren't a lot of games on Michigan State's schedule that I looked at before the season and said, yeah, that, that one's probably going to be really tough to win. Mm-hmm. This would have been one of them. Yeah. And the fact that they got Wisconsin helps, clearly. Because it gives you, you're back to having maybe that little bit of a margin for error. And the fact that everybody else, you know, has at least two losses, you know that even if you lose that game, it you're not behind. Yeah. You're just getting pulled back to the pack a little bit, you know. Um, and maybe that's a dangerous mode of thought. Now, I don't think Tom Izzo is going to, I think he's going to do everything he can to not let that creep into his team. But that is kind of a reality here. That's how I look at it. Mm. So, it's if you get it, I guess the way I look at it is from a mission, from my perspective, I don't know how you feel about it. I feel like there's pretty much only upside here. Unless Michigan state goes out and just gets pancaked. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of huge, huge downside to a loss, but if they win, wow. You know? Yeah. I, I, I think if, if they were to lose without Kofi Coburn, the feeling was would be that they let one get away from them. That's true. That does impact it. You're right about that. If they don't have Coburn, that now I'm but, not saying that that means Michigan State ought to win it for sure because yeah. Illinois still has a lot of talent and they're at home. But you're right. It's going to feel like wow, they had a chance maybe to steal one and they let it get away. You're right. Yeah. That does change the perception. But yep, Northwestern didn't have Nance, and that didn't seem to matter. So and and I I should mention it before we before we wrap it up. The all timer this year to me happened this weekend, and I don't think a lot of people were talking about it because it's kind of two teams that aren't very sexy. 
Minnesota won their second game in the league at home against Rutgers this weekend by three points. But they did it down three starters. Oh, battle wow. and battle and Stu. Well, you remember Curry got hurt against MSU and he's still not back. Mm-hmm. And then Battle, who's their best player, and EJ Stevens, who's also a really important guy for them, were both out COVID protocol. And that's a team, as we know, <laughs> they don't have any depth to begin with, right? Uh-huh. Somehow, they had huge games from Willis, um, the the white Wayne, whose name is escaping me. Um, Luke, whatever his last name is, had a big shooting game. They, they pulled it off. And to me, that is the win of the season so far because they had no business. Even Rutgers is an okay team. They're not great. They're not terrible. But for Minnesota to pull that off, given that roster, <laughs> yeah, that's they're amazing. Missing, that is remarkable. So that's an example. I mean, that's an extreme example. But you mentioned Northwestern comes into East Lansing without their best player, and they find a way to win. Mm-hmm. Purdue today against Northwestern. Now, granted, they were home, a little different, but they played without Jaden Ivey. Mm-hmm. They have enough depth that you know it isn't the end of the world, but still, that's your best perimeter player, certainly, who's out, and they waxed Northwestern by 20. They didn't even feel it. You know? um, so teams are, you know, Michigan we talked about was down Dickinson and Johns, and they battled Illinois. You know, so teams have been able to overcome it. So just if Coburn is out, that doesn't mean, hey, MSU's got this. Not even mm-hmm. close. But I do agree with you. It will feel like, boy, they had a real chance yeah. to pull it off and they didn't do it. But but I think overall we're in agreement, though, that a loss isn't the end of the world unless there were just some, you know, and even if they got smoked, sometimes it's easier to let those go. Mm-hmm. You say, ah, it was their day. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, we can remember the Cassius teams getting waxed a couple times. Didn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> they were still great. Yeah. All right, well, this will be a fun one. And we'll get back uh, after the game. Until then, the Final Four is not on the schedule. At Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail. The ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. <laughs> 